Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Today, I have a guest with a message that resonates with me as both she and I have been long-term caregivers for our moms. Caregiving and all that comes with it is not something we are taught how to do or how to deal with. So right now, we are going to gain some insight from our guest, Dr. Virginia Simpson. Virginia is known to her clients as Dr. Ginny, and she is a nationally and internationally recognized authority on dying and grieving. She is the founder of the Morningstar Center for Grieving Children and Their Families, and is the author of the memoir, The Space Between, about her journey caring for her ailing mother. She holds a fellowship in thanatology from the Association of Death Education and Counseling, and has been honored for her work by the cities of Indian Wells, Palm Desert, Palm Springs, and Rancho Mirage. She lives in El Dorado Hills, California, with her husband, Bob, and her golden retriever, Shelby. And there is so much more to know about our special guest. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Virginia. Well, thank you for having me, Pat. I appreciate it. Well, as I said, this is a topic that's close to my heart. And since there's so much to talk about, I was thinking maybe we'd separate it into two segments. First, I'd like to talk about your book. And later, maybe we can get into your perspective and advice on grief and the grieving process. That sounds very good. Excellent. All righty. So let's talk about your book, The Space Between, a memoir of mother-daughter love at the end of life, as it takes readers along the six years that you were your mom's caretaker. And I love this sentence that I believe was on the Amazon description. It said, in the space between, Simpson takes readers along for the journey as she struggles to bridge the invisible, often prickly space that sits between so many mothers and daughters and to give voice to the challenges, emotions, and thoughts many caregivers experience but are too ashamed to admit. And I can attest to that as I've looked after my ailing mom nine years and the words prickly space hit me and kind of says it all. So why don't you tell us about the journey that led to the writing of the book? Oh, well, I started writing after my mother had been dead a number of years and the story seemed to have a life of its own and I needed to follow all the threads it was taking me on. I learned so much more about my mother through this writing than I realized while she was alive things that I wish I had been able to see and understand at the time. Caretaking is so difficult. When you become your parents' parents, it's not fun. And although my mother and I had had a very good relationship before her life-threatening illness necessitated she come live with me, once she was in my house, it's as though everything that had ever stood between us was there again, and we had to deal with it. And... Even though at the end of the book my mother dies, I believe it's not a sad story because our journey ends with nothing but pure love between us. And I believe that occurred because we kept talking to each other. We kept communicating. 
And so I think that's just an important message from everyone is keep that conversation open, no matter how difficult the relationship. I so appreciate your honesty where you're saying that what it's not easy and it is difficult and all the old wounds come back because I think so many of us who are caregiving are afraid to be honest in, in the fear that, oh, maybe we'll seem like a bad daughter or a bad son if we acknowledge those feelings. I, I know exactly what you're saying. And then there's also the feelings you have as a caretaker because it wears you down. It does. You are so worn out and frazzled and your temper is quicker, you don't have the patience that you used to have, and then because you know the person you love, it's the end of their life, you want yourself to be more patient, and you can be, I was very hard on myself, and I put that down on the page because I wanted to give voice to people to know that it's okay not to be the perfect person, to have not have perfect feelings, we all have that. You're caught in this horrible feeling of wanting this to be over because you're, you're being tortured, but over means the person you love has to die, and that's just a horrifying thought because you really don't want them dead. You just want them healthy again, and that can't happen. It's heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking. It is a very difficult situation, and you just pinpointed it. I mean, you just put it in a tiny little nutshell. I'm so appreciative of what you're saying and hoping that folks that are listening can, if they're not a caretaker now, put this in the back of their brain and save it for future use. I was going to ask you if, if you thought you could have written that book while your mom was still alive. I absolutely could not mm -hmm. have written the book while she was alive. I needed to age a little bit myself and have time to really reflect from a new perspective that I could not have had while I was still somebody's daughter. Mm -hmm. I had to see the relationship with my mother, which I was able to do better because there was no new incoming information that could get in our way. Mm -hmm. So I could see her with such clarity. I could understand her as a woman separate from being my mother who had her own life and her own challenges. And I could see how the things that happened to her during her life affected her and impacted who she was and how she related to other people and to me. I couldn't have seen that while she was alive. Mm -hmm. And in some respects, it brings you closer to her after the fact, and then that's kind of a strange feeling, too, to think that you feel closer to someone when they're not here. There's nothing in the way of us anymore. Uh, yeah. There's nothing to get in the way, but there really wasn't by the time she died. My mother became pure love, and it was a remarkable transformation to see. I was so honored <laughs> to watch her grow and I can only hope when it's my turn to be at the end of my life, if I could only have one-tenth of the courage I saw her have and one-tenth of that dignity, I'd be doing really well. Oh. I just came to so admire her. Wow. Wow, you're bringing tears to my eyes as we speak here. So your book really can help others who are caretakers for their parents. Now, when you wrote this, did you write it with readers in mind, or was it more of a cathartic act for you and your well-being? It turned out to be a combination of both, but I definitely had readers in mind. As an expert in death, dying, and bereavement, I put certain things into the story very intentionally because I wanted people to have that information, to know uh, about getting into hospice, to understand what hospice can do if you get into it early enough so that you can have the benefits of it. I wanted them to understand the conversations you need to have. I wanted the real feelings and emotions to be on the page, to give people permission to be human. Uh, I did these things with great intention 
knowing that some people might say, gosh, she's kind of complaining. I wasn't. I intentionally put it on the page because I wanted people to see. I was the expert, but my expertise really flew out the window when my mother came and lived with me. I was just a, a person's daughter, and I was thrown into something I had personally never experienced before, which was being a caretaker, which was watching my mother dying. And there was nothing I could do to stop that. Yeah. Nothing. And, and in a way, I'm glad we didn't try to stop it because my mother had a good death. And I've learned over the years since that when people fight death, they open themselves up to increasingly horrific medical experiences and a lot of pain and unnecessary suffering. So in retrospect, because we didn't try to save my mother and we let her disease take its course, she didn't suffer. She really did not suffer. Uh, just as a side, what did she pass away from? My mother had congestive heart failure and emphysema. Same as mine. Very interesting. I had that feeling when you were speaking. Now, we mentioned the word conversation earlier. Given that you had this amount of time, I'm sure there were many important conversations. And I'd like to talk about some of those conversations that one should have with a person prior to them passing away or when they're in the process of death. Let's talk about those conversations. Okay. Well, fortunately, back in the 80s, I took a class on uh, the psychology of aging. And I uh, had a conversation with my mother then about what she would like at the end of her life. And we got her to fill out the necessary documents. So when the time came that we needed this information, we'd already had the conversation. Some of the conversations that came up while she was with me was when I found out that get, I could get her into hospice much earlier than I had realized. And I had to go home and say, Mom, I'd like to get you into hospice. And no, it's not that I think you only have six months to live. I just want to get you better care. And fortunately, she trusted me enough to allow me to do this. And she didn't fight it. She didn't argue with it. And we got such excellent care because of that. Mm -hmm. uh, the conversations about um, what she wanted after she died so that she could make the arrangements for exactly what she wanted to have happen with her body. I didn't have to make that decision for her. I didn't have to be confused. I knew what she wanted, and I made sure that that was taken care of. So you need to know how they want to die. What, who do they want around them? What do they want said to them, not said to them? I mean, one of the things I asked my mother, we were a stoic family, and we were not to cry. So I said to my mom, Mom, when it's the end of your life, is it okay if I cry? Oh. And she thought about it. She says, yeah, I think that'd be just fine. <laughs> because if I hadn't asked, I would have sat at her bedside while she was at the end of her life and probably been stuffing down lots of emotions. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have to do that because she had given me permission. The other thing that I knew, because I'd done some research, which I think is very important, I knew my mother would not have me in the room when she died. A lot of people think because they had to step out of the room for a minute and the person dies, they go, oh, if I'd only stayed there. Mm -hmm. and then they feel guilty. But sometimes the person dying needs for us not to be in the room with them. So I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I didn't have to ask my mother, I knew she'd never have me in the room with her. And believe me, I wasn't out of that room more than two minutes when she died. Interesting, huh? After I'd been sitting with her for hours. Oh. 
Again, I could relate back to when my dad passed away and my mom called and said, you know, dad's dying. He's in, in the act right now of dying. And, and I, I didn't get there in time. And obviously he didn't want me to be there. No. Mm-hmm. And it's not against you, but sometimes, you know, parents are so used to protecting us yes. in many ways. And that just doesn't end. Mm-hmm. So I just knew. I knew my mother. <laughs> I knew her. So the point is to have these conversations earlier rather than not. Don't wait till you need to have them. Don't wait until there's a crisis. You need to get all your documents ready. You need to talk to the people you love. And fortunately now there is so much more available than when I went through this. So there's lots of things that can help you. Excellent. All right. And obviously your book can really help as well. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about grief. Is grief processed differently depending on the age of the person who is grieving and and maybe perhaps the age or relationship of the person who is passed? Or is there a universal act in a process of grieving? Well, um, I think each person grieves individually, but it's similar. And I know for myself that each time I grieve, it's not exactly the same. With my mother, it was what I would call disenfranchised grief. Because people would say, how old was she? And when I'd say, well, she was almost 91, they'd go, oh, she was old, she had a good life. And then they'd walk away, and I'd be thinking to myself, yes, but I've never lived without her. I have to learn how to live without her. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to be mindful that when somebody loses a person that they love, no matter who it is, no matter what age, the loss is big at that time because the grief is huge. When we lose somebody we love, whether it be a parent, a child, a husband, a pet, when it happens, we have to feel the pain, and it's big. Now, one of the differences that they found in studies for older people, and I'm talking about people probably in their 80s or 90s, when they have a loss, they're not as motivated to go through the whole grieving process because they don't have the time. They don't have time, yeah. They kind of might want to just get on with their life and not have to feel too many things. That's been found, but for most of us, we're going to cry. We're going to be surprised by what's been called grief bursts. You think you're doing just fine, and all of a sudden, it's like you're punched in the stomach, all the air's out of you, and all you could do is cry. I was surprised when my mother died that all of a sudden I was a little girl. Mm. Mommy wasn't there. I actually heard myself cry out, Mommy. And I hadn't called my mother mommy since I was tiny. Yeah. And yet that part was there because for the first time in my life, I was an orphan. Mm-hmm. And that was new world, a new world to walk in, to realize I was nobody's child anymore. Oh, wow. There's a sense of relief on the one hand and then that sense of like abandonment on the other. Well, it was just, it was a different experience. And, but I still went through all the, the pain and the, I went through guilt all of a sudden, and this is so natural, the person who's died becomes a saint. Mm -hmm. And when we start going over things that happen, like, why wasn't I more patient? Why wasn't I this? And then I'd say to myself, now let's back that bus up. (laughs) Let's look at the other side of that conversation. She wasn't easy. Yes. Don't be so hard on yourself. (laughs) But it's so, you, you hear people, they will idealize the person who died on one hand, and then tell you a bad story about the person who died and can't seem to reconcile that the person wasn't a saint. I hear this in my work all the time with people I'm listening to who are grieving. They idealize the person who's died, 
and nobody can live up to that idealization. A different perspective, and I, there was a there's a book by Deborah Tannen called "You're Wearing That," which is about mother daughter <laughs> communication. I really recommend it oh because it would have been very helpful to me to have read that book but it had not been written when my mother was alive. All right. It's called You're Wearing That. I could just hear that. <laughs> it's about how mothers say something and they mean well, and the daughter's going, like, she's oh criticizing gosh, me. gosh, <laughs> how horrible. I understand it. I do understand it. So we're talking about grieving of, say, like family members that maybe have come of age that we would expect. But what about violent and sudden deaths, such as school shootings? How is that grieving process the same or different? Well, it depends on the relationship people have with who died. Mm -hmm. That's really important. I cringe when I hear on the news that some, there's been a shooting or something in a school or some, a parent has died, and all of a sudden, quote, grief counselors rush in. Yes. They should not. Mm -hmm. They should not rush in right away because generally the school will be able to take care of it, and it's only the kids who are really close who may have ongoing problems, who need to be attended to by grief counselors. But what happens is there are some people who over-identify, who might not even known people who were killed, might not have even been there, but when everybody rushes in to do too much, it becomes bigger in their mind. Yes. And there's some people that will happen to. That is a very interesting point. So who would you suggest would need grief counseling? Would a person know that they need that? In general, um, Grief is going to look a certain way, but it's when you're, it's persistent and it's in the intensity. If, if you know, in the beginning you're, you're kind of numb, and, and that isn't even a good enough word. I think chaos is a better thing. Everything just doesn't even quite make sense. So eventually that should start to lift and allow for the more painful aspects of the grieving where you're really feeling what's going on, where you're really acknowledging this has happened and it's not going to change. Now, if the person is still in magical thinking that they could bring the person back, mm -hmm. they're uh, not dealing with the feelings, they're hiding, they're running from it, then we might have a problem that needs to be addressed. But in, initially, most people are going to feel the same kinds of things. So it's only if it becomes persistent and really intense that we need to start being concerned. Okay. All right. Having hey. said that, I think children benefit tremendously from getting into groups with other children. Oh, really? I think so, and especially grief camps. Okay. Tell us a bit about that. Well, they might go on once or twice a year, and then the kids get to go and do be with other children who've experienced a loss, and they get to play, they get to talk about their feelings, act out their feelings through play, do artwork, and have some fun and some laughs while they're getting a perspective on their loss. It's the one place they're not going to be the odd child. Okay. And that's really important to know that it does happen to other people. Children need to know they didn't do anything to deserve it. Every child I've ever met thinks that somehow they caused the death by something they did or didn't do. Oh, wow. And they need to know that things just happen. And they're not a bad child. They're not a doomed child. It's just that something bad happened. And we need to feel it. And we need to express it. I know there's some hospices that uh, have counseling for children after the fact. They do. Uh, I would caution people, though, when they get into grief groups from anybody, to look into the credentials of the people who are leading the groups. Mm -hmm. This is very important because sometimes it's just lay people. Sometimes um, it'll be people who just went through a quick training but haven't had the years of experience 
because I think what's important as we do the work, and it's been important to me, is it was just as important for me to know what I do know as is as it was for me to understand what I don't know. What you don't know. I get it. Mm-hmm. It's like anything else. You need to do a little due diligence and make sure whoever is leading the group has the background and the proper training to do so. And ongoing training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because things change. Things are, We're learning new things all the time. So you have to stay up to date with what's going on. Now, you have a very particularly interesting line on your website, and you say, don't waste the pain. Let's talk about that. I liked it. Mm Mm-hmm. I figure this. If you have to be in the depths of misery, pay attention. This is what I tell my clients. In every painful experience, they're awful, but there's gifts if we pay attention. Mm -hmm. So pay attention how how you get back up again. Pay attention to what you're learning that allows you to find your smile again because these are things that are going to help you during the rest of your life when you go through tough times, and we all of these have tough times that come up. So pay attention. There are gifts in grief. It teaches us to really love the people who are here, to really celebrate the days that we're alive, the days that we're not in any kind of pain or anguish. We no longer can take everything for granted that it's always going to be good. We know it's not. So we have to enjoy those days and really celebrate our lives while we can. I love that when I read that, don't waste the pain. And then you had another line that I really gravitated toward. You you talked about fast food grieving. <laughs> Tell us what you <laughs> yes, mean by fast food grieving. <laughs> yes, that's because we're, we are a fast food society. We want people well right away. I remember... Um, Watching TV many years ago, there had been a plane crash, and it was about two weeks later, and people were coming to the site of the crash, and they said, and these people are still grieving. And I, I kind of yelled at the TV, oh, and I said, still, still grieving? They haven't even started grieving. And we think people should be over it so fast. Well, we never get over our losses. We learn to live with them. They become part of who we are. But in our society, we want people to hurry up, mm-hmm. get it done get on with their lives, and it doesn't work that way. It absolutely does not work that way. We need to understand it takes as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not a thing. Yeah. I wish people never apologized for crying. Yeah. Well, maybe they won't after this conversation. I hope so. Yes. Oh, Virginia, is there anything then you'd like to talk about that we missed today? I don't think there's really anything that we've actually missed. All I could say is if you find yourself in the position of being a caregiver, learn about all the resources in your community. You can get help. You can get respite, and you're going to need to have that respite. Don't expect yourself to be everything to the person you're caretaking. And I think my book, The Space Between, a memoir of mother-daughter love at the end of life, can actually help you understand what may be ahead of you. And even if you've been through it, I think it'll give voice to the experience you've had. And I agree. So direct us. Where can folks uh, learn more about you and then where can they purchase your book? Uh, Well, I have two websites. One is VirginiaASimpson.com and the other is DRVirginiaSimpson.com. Excellent. So the websites again are DRVirginiaSimpson.com and or VirginiaASimpson.com. And I 
strongly encourage everyone listening to get a copy of the book, The Space Between, a memoir of mother-daughter love at the end of life. And you can find that at Amazon. Head over to Virginia's websites. And if you're in the Northern California area, contact Dr. Virginia Simpson if you're looking for grief counseling or a grief and death specialist. Virginia, this has been a very special day for me. You've given me a little sense of ah and relief and hope. So I so appreciate having you here today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Pat, and I'm so glad that my words could be of help to you. Hi, I'm Jana Panaritas, host of the AgeWise podcast and a caregiver for my aging mom. Do you mind telling us how old you are, mom? I do mind. I would say forget it. Yep, that's my mom. Many of the guests on my show are caregivers who sometimes get into arguments with their loved ones. That's why it's important to talk with each other about what you're feeling. Mom and I do this a lot, but we didn't used to because after my father died, she was so devastated by her loss, she could barely speak. The biggest shock of my life was when he died. Listeners have told me they appreciate hearing from caregivers on the show because it helps them to know they're not alone. Join me each week at speakuptalkradio.com for caregiving stories that will help you feel less alone. To learn more about the show, visit agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z.com. Are you enjoying your life right now, Mom? Very much. I want to live forever. (laughs) Hi there. I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, the voice of Mrs. Green on the airwaves, and I would love for you to become a part of my world. We love to educate, inspire, and engage people about things like the faceless villain of climate change and lots of other topics that I know will interest you. Our guests will fill you up with hope, possibility, and ways that you can make a difference in your everyday life and that will make a difference for this great planet of ours. Please visit my website at mrsgreensworld.com to learn more and to become a part of our world. Well, there you have it. Lots to think about and plenty to share with others. And to do so, simply head over to the website, speakupandstayalive.com, where you can listen to today's show again and hear previous episodes, all under the Radio Archives button. And while you're there, visit the shop page to get a copy of the life-saving book, Speak Up and Stay Alive, Your Hospital Survival Guide. And if you just need more of me, Invite me to speak to your group, club, church, business, or hospital. My presentations are fun, fast-paced, informative, and life-saving. Visit speakupandstayalive.com for more information. Email me at pat at speakupandstayalive.com or call me and leave a message on the radio studio line, 440-725-5462. That is 440-725-5462. Well, that is it for today. Until next time, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice.